welcome to the Murder House Radio Show. I'm your host, X. On this show, we will be covering serial killers, killers, mass shooters, disappearances, true crime, and the most deplorable things and people in history. All that good, dark stuff. The Murder House Radio Show will be a radio show slash podcast. I'll be uploading videos every Friday at 4 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Make sure you hit the like and subscribe button. Once you hit the subscribe button, hit the bell notification and select all to get all notifications if you are viewing on YouTube. And hit follow if you are listening on a podcasting platform. So sit down, get comfortable, grab some coffee or whatever your preferred beverage is. Turn off the lights and enjoy the show. Hey guys, one more month. One more week. <laughs> Already starting off strong with the fuck-ups. One more week till this uh, month is done. I hope your month is going good so far. I hope your week was good. And I hope your Friday has been good. Let me know how they all were in the comments below. Mine have been go going good so far as well. My day has been going good. And uh, yeah... As of when I'm recording this, I'm getting a tattoo uh, tomorrow, so I hope that goes good. Getting a half sleeve, it'll be all good. I just hope I don't die of anxiety. That would fucking suck moose cocks. But uh, yeah, if you wish to ask for some advice to be covered at the end of the podcast slash broadcast, the podcast email will be in the description below as well as the sources for today's video. So, uh, yeah, there is all of that. But without any further ado, let's get in to today's episode. So today's episode will be on Dennis Nielsen. His full name is Dennis Andrew Nielsen. He was born November 23rd, 1943, and he died on the 12th of May, 2018. He was a Scottish serial killer and a necrophile, so he liked to fuck dead bodies, <laughs> who murdered at least 12 young men and boys between 1978 and 1983 in London, England. And um, he was convicted at the Old Bailey of six counts of murder and two counts of attempted murder. And Nielsen was sentenced to life in prison on the 4th of November. 1983 that's a fucked early birthday present <laughs> um with a re with a recommendation that he serve a minimum of 25 years this recommendation was later changed to a whole life tariff word in his later years nielsen was imprisoned at full stun maximum security prison full sutton s-u-t-t-o-n word so there's that. Um, all of Nielsen's murders were committed in the two North London addresses where he lived between 1978 and 1983. His victims would be lured to these addresses through the um deception through deception and killed by strangulation. So um, kind of like Jeffrey Dahmer, kind of. But um, sometimes accompanied by uh, browning, browning, uh, browning is a type of suffocation included by the submersion or immersion of the mouth and nose in a liquid. Okay, word. So like drowning. Oh, drowning. I'm fucking dumb. 
Um, following each murder, Nielsen would observe a ritual in which he bathed and dressed the victim's body, which he uh, retained for extended periods of time before dissecting and disposing of the remains by burning them in a bonfire or flushing them down the toilet. Well, shit. Nielsen became known as the Muswell Hill Murderer as he committed his later murders in the Muswell Hill district of North London. Word. Uh, he died at Yorkshire, York Hospital on the 12th of May, 2018, of a pulmonary embolism. What's that? Pulmonary embolism is a blockage of an artery in the lungs by a substance that has moved from elsewhere in the body through the bloodstream. Oh, word. And a retroperennial hemorrhage, whatever that means, which occurred following surgery to repair an abdominal erotic aneurysm. Well, shit. So, there's a summary of uh, who this guy is. I don't think I've ever really uh, heard of him, so, you know, we'll learn together. But let's dive deeper in to this dude. So, uh, Dennis Nielsen was born in Fairsburg, Addenshire, and he was the second of three children born to uh, Elizabeth Duffy, White, and Oliva. Oliva Magnus Munchem, Muckshem, who had adopted the surname Nielsen word. His father was a Norwegian soldier who had traveled to Scotland in the 1940 as part of the Free Norwegian Forces word, following the German occupation of Norway word. After a brief courtship, he married Elizabeth White in 1942, and the newly and the newlyweds moved into her parents' house. Word, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, their marriage was difficult. Oliva Nielsen did not view married life with any seriousness. Okay, so you just kind of took it as a relationship, I guess. Um, being preoccupied with his duties with the Free Norwegian Forces and making little attempts to spend much time with or find a new home for his wife. Oof. After the birth of her third child, Nielsen's mother concluded she had rushed into marriage without thinking. The couple divorced in 1948, and Dennis and his... Uh, Siblings were conceived when the father would briefly visit the mom at her uh, parents or whatnot. And her parents, Andrew and Lily White, who had never approved of their daughter's choice of husband, were supportive of their daughter following her divorce and considerate of their grandchildren. Okay, word, word. So, uh, Nielsen was, uh quiet yet adventurous child his early childhood memories were of family picnics in the scottish countryside with his mother and siblings of his grandparents pious lifestyle which he later described as cold and door okay dour d-o-u-r word and of 
being taken on long countryside walks carried on the shoulders of his maternal grandfather to whom he was particularly close and uh, Olaf Jr. and Sylvia occasionally accompanied Dennis and his grandfather on these walks, and despite being only five, Nielsen vividly recalled these walks as being very long, along the harbor across the wide stretch of beach up to the sand dunes, which rise 30 feet behind the beach, and on to Invorturley. Okay. Word. He later described being... He later described this stage of his childhood as one of the contentment, and his uh, grandfather being his great hero and protector, adding that whenever his grandfather, he that was a fisherman, was at sea, life would be empty for him until he uh, returned. Interesting. So he had a strong bond with his grandfather, and his grandfather and grandmother seemed uh, pretty nice. But um, in 1951, the grandfather's health was falling, but he continued to work. And on uh, October 31st, 1951, while fishing in the North Sea, he died of a heart attack when he was 62. His body was brought ashore and returned to the White family home prior to burial. And what Nielsen later described as his most vivid childhood recollection, his mother weeping, asked him whether he wanted to see his grandfather. When he replied that he did, he was taken into the room where his grandfather lay in an open coffin. As Nielsen gazed upon the body, his mother told him his grandfather was sleeping, adding that his grandfather had gone to a better place. Oh, that's fucking sad. So, year in the years following the, his uh, grandfather's death, he became quiet and withdrawn even more so, and often standing alone at the harbor watching the hearing boats. And when he was home, he seldomly participated in family events and retreated from any attempts by adult family members to demonstrate any affection towards him. So uh, Nielsen grew to resent what he saw as an unfair amount of attention his mother, grandmother, and later stepfather displayed towards his older brother and younger sister. Nielsen en envied Olva Jr.'s popularity. He often walked to or played games with his younger sister Sylvia, to whom he was closer than any of the other family members. Words. So the death of his... um. Grandfather uh, deeply affected him, and he pushed everybody away. And when he was pushing everybody away, I guess they uh, paid more attention to the other two siblings since they're like, hey, he's probably just going to push us away or whatnot, right? And then, uh, yeah, but then I guess he found solace, I guess you could say, in his uh, sister, his younger sister or whatnot. Became his uh, best friend, I guess you could say. So when he walked to the beach alone in about... 1954 or 1955, he uh, became submerged beneath the water and was almost dragged out to sea and almost died. He initially uh, panicked, flailing his arms and shouting as he gasped for air, which wasn't there. Oh, shit. Um, he recalled believing that his grandfather was about to arrive and pull him out before experiencing a sense of tranquility. But his life was saved by another youth who dragged him ashore. Word. 
Shortly after this incident, Nielsen's mother moved out of his grandparents' home and into a flat with the three children. So, <laughs> fuck, excuse me. She later married a builder named Andrew Scott, with whom she had four more kids. Holy fuck. In, the, in as many years. Okay, that's not weird. Although Nielsen initially resented his stepfather... Um, he viewed the stepfather as as an unfair disciplinarian. He gradually came to uh, grudgingly respect him, and the family moved to Strichen, Strichen, that's a village in Abishanire, <laughs> Scotland, and they moved there in 1955. Interesting, interesting. So his childhood seems pretty normal so far. Pretty normal. So, when he was starting puberty, he found out he was gay, which confused and shamed him, and he kept this hidden from his family and uh, his few friends, so he kept it to himself, because many of the boys to whom he was attracted had facial features similar to those of his younger sister, Sylvia. On one occasion, he sexually fondled her, believing that his attraction towards boys might be a manifestation of the care he left for her, felt for her. Okay, that's not good. That's not good at all. Um, so pretty normal up till that fucking point, the fondling shit, because there's nothing wrong with being gay. And uh, Nielsen made no effort to seek sexual contact with any of the peers to whom he was sexually attracted, although he later said he had been fondled by an older youth and did not find the experience unpleasant, okay? And on a certain occasion, he also caressed and fondled the body of his older brother as he slept. That's fucking weird. <laughs> um, as a result of this, Oliva Jr. began to suspect his brother was gay and regularly uh, bullied him in public, belittling him and referring to Dennis as a hen. Scottish dialect for a girl, okay. And, uh, Nielsen initially believed that his fondling of his sister may have been evidence that he was bisexual. Okay. Well, there's that. Oh, fuck. That took a fucking turn real quick. Holy. Yeah, I don't get how you could do that to your sibling, bro. Like, it's your fucking sibling. That should just be fucking disgusting in your fucking eyes. Like, what the fuck? But, uh, yeah. But, um, as he got older, he had found life in, uh, where he was living increasingly stifling. With limited entertainment and, uh, or career opportunities, he respected his parents' efforts to, uh, provide and care for their children, but began to resent the fact that his family was poorer than most of his peers, with his mother and stepfather making no effort to better their lifestyle, and this Nielsen seldomly invited his friends to uh, the home, so he barely had them over word. Um, when he was 14, he joined the Army Cadet Force, and uh, viewing the British Army as a potential avenue for escaping his rural origins. Yeah, I wanted to join the Army when I was uh, younger. I was going to, as in the process of joining, but it never worked out, sadly. Because if it did, I probably wouldn't be doing YouTube, to be honest. I'd be out fucking doing special forest training, hopefully. But 
But that's the way she fucking goes. I'm going to get into his military service and all that stuff. If you want to uh, read the full thing, link in the description. Because I'm just going to skim through it and give you the highlights. Because I'm not trying to read all this shit. So, his school record was above average. He displayed a flair for both history and art, but uh, shunned sports. Uh, he finished his schooling in 1961 and briefly worked at a canning factory as he considered which career path he should choose, word. And after three weeks at the factory, Nielsen informed his mother that he intended to join the army, where he intended to train as a chef. Interesting. So he passed the entrance examination and received official notification he was to enlist for nine years service in September 1961. And commencing his training with the army, uh, the army catering corps at St. Omer Barracks in Eldershort, Eldershot, Hampshire word so within weeks he began to excel in his army duties and uh he later described his three years of training at uh at where he was being trained as the happiest of his life well that's good he uh relet he released the travel opportunity relished the travel opportunities afforded him in his training and recalled as a highlight of his uh Regiment taking part in a ceremonial parade attended by both the Queen and Field Marshal Lord Montgomery of Almania. Elmain, word. So there's that. He just likes the army. That's good. That's good. So, fairly normal up until this point, other than the fuckery he was experimenting with his fucking siblings. Like, even though it only mentioned it once, but that's still fucked up. But pretty normal despite those, but still fucked up. But, uh, yeah. So, he was stationed in Elder Short, Eldershot, and his, uh, feelings, like his sexual feelings, began to, uh, get wild or whatnot. But he kept them hidden from his, uh, fellow soldiers, and Nielsen never showered in the company of his uh, fellow soldiers for fear of developing a bona in their presence, instead opting to bathe alone in the bathroom, which also afforded him the privacy of masturbation without discovery. Word, so there is that. There is that. I guess that'd be pretty normal if you were gay. <laughs> like, think about it. So, Nielsen passed all his tests in mid-1964, and he was stationed to the 1st Battalion of the Royal Fusiliers in uh, Germany, in West Germany, where he served as a private word. So, this was a deployment. He became increasingly, in his, uh, he started increasingly in taking alcohol, so while uh, getting drunk as shit all the time, and he described himself and his colleagues as hardworking, boozy lots, word. His colleagues recalled he often drank to excess in order to ease his shyness. It be like that sometimes. <laughs> but, um, on one occasion, Nielsen and a German youth drank themselves into a stupor, while Nielsen awoke, he found himself on the floor of the youth's flat, 
No sexual activity had occurred, but this incident fueled Nielsen's sexual fantasies, which initially involved his sexual partner, invulnerably a youth, slender male, being completely passive. Okay. These fantasies gradually evolved into his partner being unconscious or dead. Jeez. <laughs> Um, on several occasions, Nielsen also made tentative efforts to have his own prone body sexually interfered with by one of his colleagues. In this instance, whenever he and his colleagues drank to excess, Nielsen would pretend he was inebriated in the hope of his colleagues would make sexual use of his supposedly unconscious body. So, uh, he would fake being passed out and want to be fucked by his colleagues while they think he was passed out. That's kind of fucked up. Holy. Okay, so now it's not so normal. So around 1964, it got pretty not normal. So there is that. <laughs> so, um, two... He had two years stationed in West Germany and he returned home back to Scotland or whatnot where he passed his official catering exam before being deployed to serve as a cook in the British Army in Norway. Word. Um, in 1967, he was deployed to the state of Aden where he again served as a cook at the Al-Manasur prison. Okay. This posting was more dangerous than his previous posting in West Germany or Norway, duh. And Nielsen later recalled his regiment losing several men, often in ambushes, en route to army barracks. Nielsen was kidnapped by, the, by an Arab taxi driver who beat him unconscious and placed him in the boot of his car. So the trunk. Um... Upon being dragged out of the trunk of the taxi, Nielsen grabbed a jack handle and knocked the taxi driver to the floor before beating him unconscious. He then locked the man in the in the trunk of the taxi. Well, shit. <laughs> that is a uh, wild. So, he did a couple more deployments and then he eventually ended his 11-year military career at the rank of corporal. In October 1972, in between October and December 1972, Nielsen lived with his family as he considered what to do next with his life. So, um, on more than one occasion in three months, Nielsen lived in, uh, Strichen. His mother voiced her opinion as to her being more concerned with his lack of female companionship than his career path and of her desire to see him marry and start a family, okay. On one occasion, Nielsen joined his older brother, Oliver Olova Jr., his sister-in-law, and another couple to watch a documentary about gay men. All present viewed the topic with derision, except um, Nielsen, so they I guess they viewed it with a disgust, maybe, except Nielsen, who... Ardently spoke in defense of gay rights. A fight ensued after which his brother informed his mother Dennis was gay. Yeah, he's fucking gay. Oh, holy. <laughs> um, but um, Nielsen never spoke to his older brother again. Word makes sense. Can't really be out in people like that, especially your own family. Holy. And uh, maintaining only sporadic written contact with his mother, stepfather, and younger siblings. He decided to join the Metropolitan Police 
and moved to London in December to begin training. Word. Okay. So Nielsen uh, worked as a police officer, as a junior constable. Word. He arrested people and he never had to physically subdue anybody. But uh, he enjoyed the work and missed the camaraderie of the military and stuff. He began to drink alone and stuff, all that stuff. And um, he started to frequent gay pubs in 1973, word, and engaged in several casual legion sexual activities with men. He viewed these encounters as soul-destroying in which he would only lend his partner, his body, in a vain search for inner peace, and as he sought a lasting relationship. Okay. In August, following a failed relationship, Nielsen came to the conclusion that his personal lifestyle was at odds with his job. His birth father died the same month, leaving each of his three children a thousand pounds. In December, Nielsen resigned from the police. Okay, so there is that. So, between December 1973 and May 1974, he worked as a security guard, and the work was intermittent, so like periodic, and he uh, resolved to find more stable and secure work. Word. And um, he worked as a civil servant in May 1974, and he was initially posted to Job Center in Denmark Street, where his primary role was to find employment for unskilled laborers. Word. And then in November 1975, Nielsen encountered a 20-year-old man named David Galichan. Um, being threatened outside a pub by two other men, Nielsen intervened in the altercation and took the uh, dude to his room at 80 Tigamelth Road in the Circle Circlewood District of North London. The two men spent the evening drinking and talking. Nielsen learnt that the man had recently moved to London from Weston Supermare, Somwest, Somcest, Somcest. <laughs> Um, he was gay, unemployed, and resided in a hostel. The following morning, both men agreed to live together in a large residence in Nielsen, using part of the inheritance. Um, immediately resolved to find a larger property. Several days later, the pair viewed a vacant room floor flat at 195 Melrose Ave, also in Circlewood, and they decided to move into the property. Prior to moving in to the property at the Melrose Ave, Nielsen negotiated a deal with the landlord whereby he and the man had exclusive use of the garden at the rear of the property. Okay, I have a feeling that has some part to do with the murders, but we will uh, get into that. So... The place was unfurnished, and they gradually started to furnish it and stuff, and they barely had sexual intercourse or whatever. And, um, Nielsen started to experience domestic contentment with, uh, the man. And, however, within a year of their moving to, uh, Melrose Ave, the couple or whatnot be 
began to uh, show signs of strain, and they slept in they slept in separate beds and both began to bring home casual sex partners. Okay, so they're more roommates at this point then. And then the man insisted Nelson had never been violent towards him, but that he did engage in verbal abuse, and the pair began arguing with increasing frequency by the early 1976 word. Yo, if it's two masculine gay dudes, like, masculine gay dudes, like, you know, and they just start fist fighting, bro. Like, they're they're just fighting. Would that be domestic abuse if they're just, like, fucking on some, uh, Mickey and, uh, what's-his-face? Ian. Ian and Mickey shit from Shameless. Would that be abuse, or is that just, just them figuring shit out? Like, what would that be considered? Like, in all reality, it's probably abuse, but, like, you know. <laughs> Since they're both dudes. But, uh, anyway. Um, Nielsen later stated that following a heated argument in May of 1977, he demanded that, uh, the man leave the residence, word. And, um, the man later informed investigators that he had chosen to end the relationship. Nielsen formed brief relationships with several other young men over the following 18 months. None of these relationships lasted more than a few weeks. Um, and none of these men expressed any intention of living with Nielsen on a permanent bias basis, word. Okay. So, um, by the late 1978, he was living solitary, solitarily, and he experienced at least three failed relationships in the previous 18 months, and he later confessed to having developed an increasing conviction that he was unfit to live with. Throughout 1978, he developed an ever-increasing amount of his time, effort, and a suitability to his work, okay, and most evenings he spent consuming spirits and or lar larger as his listen to music, okay, word, so he drank and listened to music, word, 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 Alright, so for the moment y'all been waiting for, let's get into the murders. So between 1978 and 1983, he is known to have killed a minimum of 12 men and boys and to have attempted to kill 7 others. He initially confessed in 1983 to having killed 15 people. And the majority of Nielsen's victims were homeless or gay men. Others were heterosexual people he typically met in bars for public transport, or no one occasion outside of his own home, okay. All of uh, his murders were committed inside the two houses, blah 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 blah, I said all that shit earlier. Um, so inside the home, he would usually give them food and alcohol, and then strangle them, typically with lingerie, either to death or until they became unconscious. If the victims had been strangled into unconsciousness, Nielsen then drowned them in his bathtub. He, uh, sink in his bathtub sink or a bucket of water before observing a ritual. I said all that shit earlier. And then, um... He would uh, keep the bodies inside his house for uh, several weeks or occasionally months before dismembering them. 
Each victim killed between the dates of 1978 and 1981 at his Circlewood residence was disposed of via burning upon the bonfire. Word. Prior to their dissection, Nielsen removed their internal organs, which he disposed of either besides a fence be uh, behind his house or uh, close to Gladstone Park. The victims killed in 1982 and 1983, 1983 at his Muswell Hill residence were... Uh, Retained at his flat with their flesh and smaller bones being flushed down the toilet. Word. And he admitted to engaging in masturbation as he viewed the nude bodies of several of his victims and to have engaged in sexual acts with six of his victims' bodies, but was uh, demanded he had never penetrated any of his victims so he never fuck fucked the dead bodies but maybe like touched up on them and shit still weird still pretty fucking weird <laughs> so his first kill was 14 year old stefan holmes on the 30th of december 1978 um holmes encountered nielsen in the circle wood arms pub where Holmes had unsuccessfully attempted to purchase alcohol. Um, according to Nielsen, he had been drinking heavily alone on the day he met Holmes before deciding in the evening that he must, at all costs, leave his flat and seek company. Okay. Nielsen invited Holmes to his house with the promise of the two drinking alcohol and listening to music. Uh, he believed him to be approximately 17 years old. Okay, so at Nielsen's home, both he and Holmes drank heavily before they fell asleep. The following morning, Nielsen awoke to find Holmes asleep on his bed. In his uh, subsequent written confession, uh, Nielsen stated he was afraid to wake him in case he left. Okay, um, after caressing the sleeping boy... Nielsen decided Holmes was to stay with me over the New Year's, whether he want to or not. Holy fuck, he could have just maybe asked. <laughs> Reaching for a necktie, Nielsen stra uh, straddled Holmes as he strangled him into unconsciousness before drowning the teenager in a bucket filled with water. Okay. So uh, Nielsen was in, then washed the body in the bathtub before placing Holmes on his bed and caressing the boy. He twice masturbated over the body before waiting for uh, the passing of rigor mortis to be enable him to stow the corpse beneath the floorboards. Okay, Holmes bound the corpse corpse's remains beneath the floorboards for almost eight months before Nielsen built a. Uh, bonfire in the garden behind his flat and burned the body on the 11th of August 1979. Well, shit. So, Nielsen looked back on his killing spree in 1983 and he said that killing homes, I caused dreams which caused death. This is my crime. Adding that he had stared down the avenue of death in possession of a new kind of flatmate. Holy shit. Well, damn. So, um, 
On the 11th of October 1979, Nielsen attempted to murder a student from Hong Kong named Andrew Ho, who he had met in a St. Martin's Lane pub and lured him to his flat for the promise of sex. Okay. Nielsen attempted to strangle Ho, who managed to flee from his flat and reported the incident to police. Nielsen was questioned in relation to the incident, but Ho decided to not press charges. Well, shit. If he pressed charges, that's definitely attempted murder, or at least assault, could have saved some lives, most likely. Um, so two months after the attempted murder of Ho, on the 3rd of December 1979, Nielsen encountered 23-year-old Canadian student Kenneth Okaden, who had been on tour of England visiting relatives, word. Nielsen encountered uh, Okinen as they both drank in an East End pub. Upon learning the youth was a tourist, Nielsen offered to show Okinen several London landmarks and offered wit, an offer which Okinen accepted. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. But um, Nielsen invited the young youth to his house on the promise of a meal and further drinks. The pair stopped at an off-licensed... Uh, Wow, liquor store, word, where they purchased whiskey, rum, and beer, and Okiden insisting on sharing the bill. Nielsen was adamant he could not recall the price, the precise moment he strangled Okiden, but recalled that he strangled the youth with the cord of his, Niels, with his headphones, as uh, Okiden listened to music. Oh, fuck. Um, he also recalled dragging the youth across his floor with the wire wrapped around his neck as he strangled him before pouring himself a glass of rum and continuing to listen to music on the headphones with which he had strangled Okidin. Well, goddamn. So, after that, the following day, he purchased a Polaroid camera and took pictures of the body in various suggestive positions. So, like Jeffrey Dama, he then laid the corpse, um, spread eagle above him on his bed and watched television for several hours before wrapping the body in plastic and putting the, the corpse beneath the floorboards. He would, uh, take, he would keep the body and he would, uh, take it out and do stuff with it on multiple occasions. And, uh, yeah, Nielsen discerned. Uh, the body from beneath the, his floorboards and uh, seated the body upon his armchair alongside him as he himself watched television and drank alcohol. Well, goddamn. So his third victim was a 16-year-old, Martin Duffy, and this was on the 17th of May, 1980. Well, damn. Duffy was a student at the Brickenhead Marisside, who had hitchhiked to London without his parents' knowledge, and on the 13th of May, after being questioned by the British Transport Police for evading his train fare, okay, for four days, Duffy had slept rough, so that means homeless, basically, um, near Assant Euston Rail Station, <laughs> um, before Nielsen encountered the youth, as he returned from a union conference in Southport. Okay. Uh, Duffy and Nielsen, recollected, was both exhausted and hungry. So they were both hungry and tired. 
and happily accepted uh, Nielsen's offer for a meal and a bed for the evening. Okay, so then they went back to his place, all that stuff, and he strangled him with lingerie and simultaneously sat on Duffy's chest and tightened the lingerie with great force. And Nielsen held this grip until Duffy became unconscious. He then dragged him into the kitchen and drowned him in the sink. Before uh, bathing the body, which he recollected as being the youth looking, the youngest looking I had ever seen. Well, goddamn, that's fucked up. But uh, that was uh, that. And then Duffy's body was first placed upon the kitchen chair, then upon the bed on which he had been strangled. The body was repeatedly kissed, complimented, and caressed by Nielsen. Both before and after he had masturbated while sitting upon the stomach of the corpse. For two days, Duffy's body was stowed in a cupboard before Nielsen noted signs of uh, bloating. Therefore, he went straight under the floorboards. Well, that is that. After this murder, he began to uh, kill more frequently, and before the end of 1980, he killed a further five more victims and attempted to murder one more. And um, only one of these victims whom Nielsen murdered, 26-year-old William David Sutherland, has ever been identified. Jeez. So there is that. Nielsen's recollections of the unidentified victims were vague, but he graphically recalled how each victim had been murdered and just how long the body had been retained before dissection. One identified victim killed in November had moved his legs in circular motion as he was strangled, okay? Nielsen is known to have uh, absented himself, like um, took himself out of work, between the 11th and 18th of November, likely due to his particular uh, murder, due to this murder. So he took himself out of the murder and uh, took himself out of work for the murder. Fuck me. <laughs> um, so another unidentified victim, Nielsen, had unsuccessfully attempted to uh, resuscitate before sinking his knees, sinking to his knees and sobbing before standing to uh, expressly spit at his own image as he looked himself in the mirror. Okay. So he tried to uh, save this one, I guess, and then he couldn't, and then he fucking felt horrible, spit, him, spit at himself in the fucking mirror. Word. So on another occasion, he had uh, lain in bed alongside the body of an unidentified victim as he listened to the classic theme, Fanfare for the Common Man. Before bursting into tears. Well shit. There is that. So there's so many bodies under the floorboards. That it started to attract. Uh, fucking insects and shit. And they, st they started to stink obviously. And on occasions. When Nielsen disinterred his victims. From beneath the floorboards. He noted that the bodies were covered. With uh, pupa. Pupa. What's pupa? <laughs> Oh shit, that's like uh, maggots and like flag egg, fly eggs and flies and shit. And infested with maggots. Some victims' heads had maggots crawling out of the eye sockets and mouths. Well, that'll that'll happen. He placed deodorants beneath the floorboards and sprayed insecticide about the flat twice daily. But the odor of decay and the presence of flies remained. Well, God damn. 
So by this point, he had about six to nine bodies in his floorboards. And then in the late 1980s, uh, 1980, Nielsen removed and dissected the bodies of each victim killed since December 1979 and burned them upon a bonfire he had constructed on waste ground behind his flat word. So to disguise the smell of burning flesh of the six bodies he placed upon the pier, uh, Nielsen crowned the bonfire with an old car tire, so a uh, plastic. Three neighborhood children stood to watch this particular bonfire, and Nielsen later wrote in his memories, or memoirs, that he felt it would have seemed in order if he had seen these three children dancing around as as a mass funeral pry dam when the bonfire had been reduced to ashes and cinders nielsen then used a rake to search the debris for any recognizable bones noting a skull was still intact he smashed it into pieces with the rake that is fucked up bro god damn so, he would continue to kill since he had more space in his fucking floorboards. And then he would continue to call in sick to, uh, work and whatnot. And then, um, by April of, uh, 1981, Nielsen had killed two further unidentified victims. And, uh, yeah. Word. Uh, so that is that. So, um... He would uh, keep the f bodies of these victims uh, under the floorboards and stuff. And, uh, yeah. And then uh, he did. He would, like, replace the carpet and stuff. And the usual guys get him drunk, feed him and stuff. And he would go back to work at his job and stuff. So, uh, yeah. The following month, Nielsen uh, removed the internal organs of several victims stowed beneath the floorboards. He discarded these innards both upon the waste ground behind his flat and in his house rubbish bin. So, um, yes, I think it's about, uh, five more victims he, uh, killed. And then his final victim he killed at this house was 23-year-old Malcolm Barlow, who Nielsen discovered slumped against a wall outside his home on the 17th of September, 1981. When Nielsen inquired as to uh, his welfare, the victim's welfare, he was informed that the medication he was prescribed for his epilepsy had caused his legs to weaken. Nielsen suggested that Barlow should uh, be in a hospital and support him, walking him into his house before phoning an ambulance. Okay. The following day, Barlow was released from the hospital and returned to Nielsen's home. So he actually went to the hospital and then came back. Apparently to thank him, he was invited in and after eating a meal began drinking rum and coke before falling asleep on the couch. Um, Nielsen manually strangled him as he slept before stowing his body beneath his kitchen sink the following morning. Well, god damn. So, um, in mid-1981, Nielsen's landlord decided to renovate the, uh, 195 Melrose Avenue and asked Nielsen to vacate the property. Nielsen was initially, uh, 
resistant to the proposal, but accepted an offer of a thousand pounds for the landlord to vacate the residence. He moved into an attic flat at 23D Cranwell Gardens in the Muswell Hill District in North London on the 5th of October 1981. The day before he vacated the property, Nielsen burned the dissected body of the last five victims Yo, were the last five victims he had killed at this address. Upon a third and final bonfire, he constructed in the garden behind his flat. Again, Nielsen ensured the bonfire was crowned with an old car tire to disguise the smell of the burning bodies. Where Nielsen had already dissected the bodies to four of these victims in January and August, and only needed to complete the dissection of Barlow for this third bonfire. So there is all that. There is all of that. So at his new place he had no access to a garden. And his resident in the attic flat. He was unable to stow any bodies beneath the floorboards. For almost two months, any acquaintances Nielsen encountered and lured into his flat were not assaulted in any manner. Although he did attempt to strangle a 19-year-old student named Paul Nobes on the 23rd of November on his birthday, 1981, but stopped himself from completing the act. Word. And then on March 1982, Nielsen encountered 23-year-old John Howlett while drinking in a pub near Westchester Square. Howlett was lured to Nielsen's flat on the promise of continuing drinking with Nielsen. There, both of them drank as they watched a film before Howlett walked into Nielsen's front room and fell asleep in the bed. So, which was located in the front room at this time. One hour later, Nielsen unsuccessfully attempted to rouse Howlett, then sat on the edge of the bed drinking rum as he stared at him before deciding to kill him. The following, following a ferocious struggle in which Howlett himself attempted to strangle his attacker, Nielsen strangled Howlett into unconsciousness with an upholstery strap, an upholstery strap, before returning to his living room, shaking from the stress of the struggle. Holy, this one put up a fight, which is good. <laughs> you gotta put up a fight, bro. Like your life depends on it, literally. In which he had been believed he would be overpowered. So he's shook by his uh, near-death almost experience. On three occasions over the following ten minutes, Nielsen unsuccessfully attempted to kill this victim after noting he had resumed breathing before deciding to fill his bathtub with water and drown him. For over a week following Howlett's murder... Nielsen's own neck bore the victim's finger impressions. You gotta cut off those fingers, boy. Cut them fingers off so they can't get the evidence. So in May 1982, he encountered Carl Stoter, a 21-year-old gay man, as the man drank at the Black Cat Pub in Camden. 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 Nielsen engaged Stoder in conversation, discovering the youth was depressed following a failed relationship. After plying the youth with alcohol, 
Um, Nielsen invited him to his flat, assuring his guest he had no intentions of sexual activity. At the flat, um, the victim consumed further alcohol before falling asleep upon an open sleeping bag. He later awoke to find himself being strangled, with Nielsen loudly whispering, Stay still, that's fucking creepy. Jeez. Um, so, oh, I think I've heard of this dude. So, um... I guess he was trying to strangle him with the sleeping bag. And um, he woke up and he thought that Nielsen was trying to uh, free the zipper from the sleeping bag because it was strangling him. Before he returned to a state of unconsciousness, he then vaguely recalled hearing water running before realizing he was immersed in the water. And Nielsen was attempting to drown him after briefly seducing and uh, raised his head above the water. So, as uh, succeeding in raising his head above the water, uh, the victim gasped the words, No more, please, no more, before Nielsen again submerged his head beneath the water. Believing he had killed the victim, Nielsen sat the youth in his armchair, then noted his uh, mongrel dog, Bleep, Bleep, licking the victim's face. Nielsen raised the tintness thread of the life still clung to the youth. He rubbed uh, the victim's limbs and heart to increase circulation, covered the youth's body in blankets, and then laid him in his bed. Um, when the... When the victim regained consciousness, Nielsen embraced him. He then explained to the victim he had almost strangled himself on the zipper of the sleeping bag, and that he had, uh, re like, uh, resurrected him. Over the following two days, the victim repeatedly lapsed in and out of consciousness. When the victim had regained enough strength to question Nielsen as to his recollections of being strangled and immersed in cold water, Nielsen explained he had become caught in the zipper of the sleeping bag following a nightmare, and that he had placed him in cold water as you were in shock. I don't know if that works, but it sounds logical, maybe. I'm not sure. You doctors, let me know. <laughs> but, um, Nielsen then led the victim to a nearby railway station where he informed the youth he had hoped they might meet again before he bid him farewell. So there is that. There is that. So... On June 1982, he received a promotion, and he encountered 27-year-old Graham Allen attempting to get a taxi, and, uh, he strangled him, and, uh, after he got to his flat or whatever, um, he strangled him, but recalled approaching him as he sat eating an omelette with the full intention of murdering him. Allen's body was retained in the bathtub for a total of three days before Nielsen began the task of dissecting his body upon the kitchen floor. Nielsen is again known to have informed his employers he was ill and unable to attend work on the 9th of October, 1982, to likely in um, 1982, likely in order that he could complete the dissection of Allen's body. Word. So, um, I'm pretty sure he flushed most of them down the toilet and shit. And then, uh, garbage bags for the rest of them and shit. I'm not too sure. Not too sure at all. 
On the 26th of January, 1983, Nielsen killed his final victim, 20-year-old Stephen Sinclair. Sinclair was last seen by acquaintances in the company of Nielsen. Oh, that's where he got caught slipping, walking in the direction of a tube station, so a train station. At Nielsen's flat, Sinclair fell asleep in a drug and alcohol-induced stupor. In the armchair as Nielsen sat listening to rock opera Tommy. Nielsen approached Sinclair, knelt before him, and said to himself, Oh, Stephen, here I go again, before strangling Sinclair with a, longe- with a ligature cord, with a necktie, and a rope. Noting, um... Crepit badges upon each of Sinclair's wrists... Nielsen removed these to discover several deep slash marks from where he tried to kill himself. Oh, so like, um, medical things, word. Okay. So, um, following the usual ritual of all this stuff, he applied a tactilum powder to the body, then arranged three mirrors around the bed before himself, laying naked alongside the dead body. Several hours later, he turned Stefan's head towards him before kissing the youth's body on the forehead and saying, Good night, Stefan. Nielsen then fell asleep along the body. Uh, he had been the case... This had been the case with both Howlett and Allen. Sinclair's body had subsequently been dissected with various dismembered parts wrapped in plastic bags and stored in either a wardrobe, a tea chest, or within drawers located beneath the bathtub. Word. Uh, The bags used to seal uh, Sinclair's remains were sealed with the same crepit bandages Nielsen had found on his wrists. Nielsen attempted to dispose of the flesh initial... The flesh, initial organs, and small bones of the three victims killed at uh, Clare Gardens by flushing their uh, deceased remains down his toilet. In a practice which he had uh, conducted upon several victims killed at the Melrose Avenue, he had also boiled the heads, hands, and feet to remove the flesh off the sections of the victim's body. So straight Jeffrey Dahmer. Word. And then on February 4th, 1983, Nielsen wrote a letter of complaint to estate agents complaining that the drains at the home were blocked. Oh, word, and then they found the body parts and shit in the drains, word. There is that. The following day, he refused to allow acquaintances to enter his property for the reason being he had begun dismembering the body on the floor in his kitchen. That's obviously not what he uh, gave the reason to be. <laughs> but uh, he just didn't let him in for that reason. That's not what he told him, word. But, um... Nielsen's murders were first discovered by Dion Road employee Michael Cateran, who responded to the plumbing complaints about both Nielsen and other tenants... Word. Um, this was on the 8th of February, 1983. Upon opening the drain cover at the side of the house, he discovered the drain was packed with a flesh-like substance and numerous small bones of an unknown origin. Um, his suspicion... 
His report he reported his suspicions to his supervisor Gary Wheeler as uh, Cataran had arrived at the property at dusk. He and Wheeler agreed to postpone further investigation into the blockage until the following morning. Prior to leaving the property, Nielsen and fellow tenant Jim Alcock converted with Cataran to discuss the source of the substance. Upon hearing Cataran exclaim how similar the substance was in appearance to human flesh, Nielsen replied, It looks to me like someone has been flushing down their toilet. Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> Holy. So, the two men arrived back at 7.30 a.m. to uh, fix the drain, but it had been cleared, and this made them suspicious, obviously. Cataran discovered some scraps of flesh and four bones in a pipe leading from the drain which linked to the top flat of the house. To both Cataran and Wheeler, the bones looked as if they originated from a human hand. Both men immediately called the police, who, upon closer inspection, discovered further small bones and scraps of what looked like naked eye, like either human or animal flesh in the same pipe. The remains were taken to a mortuary at Hornsey, where pathologist Professor David Bowen advised police that the remains were human, and that one particular piece of flesh he concluded had been from a human neck bore a ligature. Uh, oh, one of the pieces of flesh bore a ligature marks word from a human neck word. So upon learning from fellow tenants that the top floor flat where the human remains had been flushed belonged to Nielsen, Detective Chief Inspector Peter Ray and two colleagues opted to wait outside the house until Nielsen returned home from work. When Nielsen returned home, uh, the Detective Jay introduced himself as, and his colleagues, explaining they had come to inquire about the blockage in the drains from his flat. Nielsen asked why the police were interested in the drains, and also whether the two officers presented with Jay were health inspectors. In response, Jay informed Nielsen that the other two were also police officers and requested access to his flat to discuss the matter further. Well, shit. So, he let them in his flat, and then when they went in, they immediately noted the odor of rotting flesh. Nielsen questioned further as to why the police were interested in his drains, to which he was informed the blockage had been caused by human remains. Nielsen fidgeted, shocked in bewilderment, stating, Good grief, how awful. In response, Jay replied, Don't mess about, where's the rest of the body? Nielsen responded calmly, admitting that the remainder of the body could be found in two plastic bags in a nearby wardrobe, from which Jay and his colleagues noted the overpowering smell of decomposing the decomposition emanated from those places. So they did not open the cupboards but asked Nielsen whether they were there were any more body parts to be found, which Nielsen replied, It's a long story. It goes back a long time. I'll tell you everything. I want to get it off my chest. Not here, at the police station. He was then arrested and cautioned on and uh cautioned on suspicion of murder before being taken to uh Hornsey police station. 
As he was escorted to the police station, Nielsen was asked whether the remains in his flat belonged to one person or to two. Staring out the window of the police car, he replied, Fifteen or sixteen since 1978. Well, goddamn. So, uh, yeah, he admitted to everything and confessed to everything. And, uh, yeah, there is all of that. You can read the whole confession if you would like, but his formal charges are, on the 11th of February, 1983, Nielsen was officially charged with the murder of Stephen Sinclair. He was transferred from HMP Brixton to be held on remand until his trial. Word. And according to Nielsen, upon being transferred to Brixton Prison to await trial, his mood was one of resignation and relief. With, the, with his belief being that he would be viewed in, accountance with, in accordance with the law as innocent until proven guilty. He's literally guilty until proven innocent, sadly, in a lot of cases. He objected to wearing a prisoner's uniform while on remand. In protest at having to wear a prison uniform and what he interpreted to be branches of prison rules, Nielsen threatened to protest against the remand conditions by refusing to wear any clothes. As a result of this threat, he was not allowed to leave his cell. On August 1st, Nielsen threw the contents of his chamber pot out the cell, uh, hitting several prison officers. Oh, he splashed them. <laughs> this, is, this incident resulted in Nielsen being found guilty on the 9th of August of assaulting prison officers and subsequently spending 56 days in solitary. Well, shit. So on the 26th of May, Nielsen was uh, committed to stand trial at the Old Bailey on five counts of murder and two counts of attempted murder. A sixth murder charge was later added. Word. Throughout this uh, commercial hearing, he was represented by a solicitor named Ronald Moss, who had previously dismissed as who he had previously dismissed as his legal rep excuse me who he had previously dismissed as his legal representation on the 21st of April that's when i'm recording this <laughs> um before moss was reappointed to the role after nielsen had complained to magistrates he had been afforded no facilities with which he could mount his own defense. Moss was to remain Nielsen's legal representative until July 1983, when Nielsen again expressed his intention to defend himself, discharged him until the 5th of August when Nielsen once again reappointed Moss. Fucking figure it out, bud. Holy shit. So initially, Nielsen had intended to plead guilty to each charge of murder at his upcoming trial. With Nielsen's full consent, Moss had fully prepared his defense five weeks before his trial. Nielsen again dismissed Moss and opted instead to be represented by Ralph Himes, Himes upon whose advice Nielsen agreed to plead not guilty by diminished responsibility. Well, shit. So, Nielsen was brought to trial on the 24th of October, 1983, charged with six counts of murder and two counts of attempted murder. 
and word, and he pled uh, not guilty on all charges. Well, shit. Um. Okay, so, um, what was he sentenced to? The following day, the jury returned with the majority verdict of guilty upon six counts of murder and one count of attempted murder, with the unanimous verdict of guilty in relation to the attempted murder of Nobbs. Chrome Johnson sentenced Nielsen to life imprisonment with the recommendation that he serve a minimum of 25 years, which was changed to uh, life or whatever. So, uh, yeah, there is all of that. And then he was in prison and all that good stuff. And then he died of a bunch of uh, health problems. And, uh, yeah, that is uh, wild. So in 1978, he killed one person. 1979, killed one person. 1980, he killed one, two, three, four, five, six people. 1981, he killed three people. One, two, three, four, never mind, four people. 1982, he killed two people. 1983, one person. And then as for medias and movies and films and shit, he has one movie that's kind of based on him and stuff called Cold Light of Day. And then he has uh, television shows, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight television shows and um, a podcast word. And just like now, he has another podcast by yours truly. <laughs> but um yes, there is that. So there is no emails for advice. Maybe next week, hopefully. <laughs> so that is Dennis Nielsen. Thank you for listening to this episode on the Murder House Radio Show. I hope you have a good rest of your Friday or whenever you are listening to this. Check out the social medias and the sources in the description below. Make sure you hit the like and subscribe button. Once you hit the subscribe button, hit the bell notification and select all to get all notifications if you are listening on YouTube. If you are listening on a podcasting platform, hit follow. Leave your suggestions for future episodes in the comments. See you next episode. This is your host X, signing off.